listening to Conscious as a Mother. I'm Carson. I'm Prim. Join us as we bring unfiltered conversations as a catalyst for connection in these isolating times. So whether you're a plant mom, dog mom, a mom to humans, or not a mom at all, these conversations are for you. And we promise to never take ourselves too seriously. Good morning. Good morning. Hi. It's so good to meet this morning. Bright yes. and early, 7.30 a.m. Yeah. Well, at 8.30 where you are. Yeah, which feels kind of late mm-hmm. in the morning around here because our kids wake up at like... 5 30 or 6 totally so I'm on yeah my i second think, cup of coffee <laughs> i think that if it was 8 30 here then i would feel exactly the same way because it's like mm-hmm. you got to get going at 8 30 so i really yeah. appreciate you sitting down with me and having these chats i love that we get them done so early like who yeah, am me i too. if you had asked me like years ago do you want to like you know work at 7 30 a.m on a saturday i would have been like <laughs> are you joking <laughs> But I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I'm such a, like, early to bed, early to, like, wait. Yeah, Me early too. to bed, early to rise. Like, that is, I'm Freaking so much 920. more functional. Mm-hmm. 9.20 at night, I'm, like, falling asleep. I'm like, oh, i got to go to bed. Hurry. Yeah. Yes. This is the week before Christmas is when this oh, yeah. is coming out. So That's true. I bet everyone's in the thick of decorating and staying safe hopefully i was gonna say when you said everyone's probably dealing with the first word i heard was like stress <laughs> the everyone's probably, y'all let's just take a breath okay cool I, i'm not like religious in any way like i'm not i don't i, I associate my like self with christianity at all but mm. like christmas is a huge space for me and my memory and everything, it's just mm-hmm. like, it's so, it, and that's the thing about Christmas and the holidays is that like everyone has that childlike feeling. Nostalgia, yeah. Yes. Totally. Yes. And nostalgia is so painful for me. Like the older I get, like specific things will really just like give me like a, a deep heart zinger, you know? <laughs> yeah. Something that I really like about the holidays is that like, regardless of or in my experience regardless of like I grew up Catholic and I'm not Catholic anymore and a lot of that stuff still feels nostalgic for me not that I would like put a a nativity scene on my mantle anymore anything like that which I did when I was a kid but there's something that's just very human about this time of year that's like archetypal in a way of kind of this you know, celebrating what you've cultivated the entire year and like this lightness within the dark and like turning anew and like kind of closing a chapter a little bit and then turning to the new year. And no matter how you express that, I think that that gesture lives in every person. And so it's so hard to not like lean into that. It's just so natural for human beings to like, to want to do something around this time of year, like regardless of our, um, spirituality or religion or anything like that so that's i like the the open-endedness that like the possibility that it um, creates for um new traditions and as parents now we have the ability to take the things from our christmas traditions that we are really fond of and express them in a new way or do them differently or not do them at all or bring in new things that we didn't do as children and create a whole new space for our children and future generations totally new. 
I agree. Yeah, totally. And it is so funny, like just thinking about it in like a weird abstract way, kind of like the way you presented it is that us as humans, we, we created this, you know, this concept of years and time. And I know that it's a measurement, like a scientific measurement, but still it's like, we do add this like layer of reflection and this layer of drama to the end of the year, you know, Mm -hmm. because it Mm -hmm. is just like such a significant time for all of us to reflect or plan ahead or, you know, there's that bittersweetness of we're getting older and time is moving. It just keeps on going. And um, yeah, it's definitely, it's, I think that that's that's a space to like, yeah, tap into why am I here and your whole sense of purpose and whether you, you know, think of that as spirituality or not because i know plenty of people that don't um it's still yeah it's a huge part of like your purpose i think um it's kind of checking in every year at least for us and for me it's like that end of the year reminder and that's a really good point i wasn't even thinking about that but yeah definitely like as the year comes to a close we have this added layer of like i don't know i don't know why like the word drama is coming to mind just because mm. i'm like i love like cinema and i love like the thought yeah. remember cuz back to you're our not life dramatic life. at all carson <laughs> i know i'm not a romantic <laughs> just make this like weird like a mo- sense of movie and this is from your podcast episode yeah. that we did but like the the like picturing yourself in a movie yeah. <laughs> all the time it lives on what? it lives on <laughs> there it is we're channeling that conversation but yeah. today we are going to talk about gender. That's the topic today. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, we were excited to talk about this. We've kind of had some back and forth about this, just like whether or not to go into it, because we're not like, you know, child psychologists or professors or we're not like experts. I don't know why I said professors. Excuse me. <laughs> so well, we're I'm not saying. professors. It's true, We're Carson. definitely not. You're a teacher, though, so. I am, I mean. I am a teacher, and I am I'm versed in child development, but I don't right. have a degree in like an official degree in child development or child psychology or anything like that. I've studied child development through the lens of Waldorf education and anthroposophy and spiritual science um, and, and child development and like a, you know, like a common, like the coursework you have to take to be right. someone that works with children. But yeah, yeah. still no this is through our Yeah, this is through our lived experience as, you know, people that were raised in this society and then also people that are raising other people in a mm-hmm. kind of different society or at least one that's changing and evolving. And we are coming from a space of um, imperfectness. So we are not perfect. Imperfection. Imperfectness. Wow. So we're coming from a space of I didn't imperfection. question it. I was like, imperfectness. Great. I know. I was trying to start over so I could edit it out. But guess what? I guess we're keeping that one in there because that was funny. Um, <laughs> coming from a lens of imperfection, we're learning more about this as time goes on. And our kids, you know, are, there are little, I don't want to say like experiments, but they are. They are. Our experience. Yeah. <laughs> our experimental experiences. Uh, but... Yeah, we definitely have learned, and you've you had both a girl and a boy, so you mm-hmm. have a, probably a different experience than I do, which I had. Yeah, we I had two, you know, children with male genitalia that were born, so we refer to them as boys. But we're gonna go into all of that today, and our experience with that. So you know, we are two, and we'll go we'll go into some definitions here in a minute. But we're two uh, cis women that are raising children that we are, um, you know 
in the past had assumed their gender. We're just navigating all of this through a a lens of um, not being non-binary folk, not being trans people. And we decided that it was important to bring it forth to all of you because we feel like our audience might um, align or identify with you know, our experiences. And it's a a conversation that needs to be had. It's, there's education there that needs to be um, put out into the world and work that needs to be done, even if it's only around understanding more, because these are human beings out in the world. And also as people that are raising human beings, we personally feel like it's so good to just be educated and to be informed and to be um, conscientious as we navigate all of this. And so we're not perfect by any means, and we are still learning ourselves, yet we still felt like it was a important enough conversation to just show up in this messy way and do our best. Um, so that's what we're offering today, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I love the way you explain that. And yeah, and this is definitely kind of like your intro, if, especially if you haven't um, really explored this at all yet. But this is more of like an intro conversation. And I mm-hmm. we really will give you some resources to like do some further education on your own and what feels right for you. Um, because what we're doing might not feel right for you. But I think that we just want to foster this space for our children. Like just the beginning of this conversation, we want to foster like a safe space for our children to explore whatever they feel comfortable exploring but also um just yeah to have this neutral space but mm-hmm. a welcoming space at the same time for them to step into wherever they feel comfortable which whenever that feels comfortable for them so basically not make it like this weird forced thing but to, just offering a space that it's just a natural thing for them as the, as time progresses and i feel like that's hard for us to wrap our heads around like we're trying to go out of our way to like make sure that our kids have, you know, all the different gendered toys, you know, and mm-hmm. like all the different colors and representation in their media that they consume and all this type of thing. You know, we do have to be intentional about that, but hopefully for them, <laughs> it it doesn't feel that way. Hopefully for them, it just feels like, oh, yeah, this is just a part of the way it is. This is just a part of life. And this is yeah. just this that and that. feels normal, quote unquote. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's awesome. But first, yeah, I think that we should circle back to your choice of the word cis. Like, we are cis mm-hmm. women. We're two cisgendered women, which is essentially, what that means is that we identify, we closely identify with the sex that we were assigned at birth, which for us, it's female. And um, as we have grown up, we have aligned with that, you know, gender and that social, um, <clears throat> for the most part, I don't align with all of the social norms that come with, you know, being (laughs) female uh, and the societal things that that means. And, you know, I think that there are a lot of us that are working to change that. But for the most part, my expression is um, female and feminine and I like to wear dresses. And that's like that would be a form of gender expression. But so gender identity is going to be a, a completely different thing than, you know, biological sex. So our biological sex at birth. Now I'm talking about our vagina. We were born with female genitalia and that would be biological sex or, you know, sex at birth. And then gender identity is going to be that innate sense of self. So like your sense of being, how you feel you are who you are. Um, and that could be male, that could be female, that could be both, or that could be neither. You know, there is a huge array of 
genders and ways to identify just based on who you are and how you feel. And um, that doesn't always align with, you know, the genitalia you were born with or your anatomy. And Mm -hmm. so that's going to be your gender identity. And then gender expression is, you know, that's just any way that you present to the world and how that aligns with gender. You do not need to identify, like, let's say, like, Harry Styles. That's a good example. He That's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Yeah. He, he's all over the media right now. And he, wears dresses and paints his nails and all these things, but he has said that he identifies as male, right? And um, his gender expression is, you know, all over the map. His gender expression is very fluid. It's very creative. And he's just one example because there are so many different ways. There are women out here who, like, shave their heads, who like to wear, like, hiking boots all the time. And things that are traditionally more masculine, they prefer, they feel more comfortable. They feel, they, they like that expression, but maybe they still identify as female. Um, so that would be, like, gender expression. And then, you know, sexual orientation is completely different, and that's going to be who you are physically, sexually, romantically attracted to, and whether that's male, female, non-binary folk, both, none, you know, there is a huge Mm -hmm. spectrum of that as well. And so we're not really going to touch on that, but I think that some people don't realize that they, that part of it um, is a complete, yeah, it's a separate conversation. So just because your gender identity may be fluid doesn't really mean that you, um, are attracted to a specific person or X, Y, and Z. So yeah. that's kind of our, like, like our, my very kind of sloppy, like, uh, vocabulary. Glossary. But I think, <laughs> glossary, yeah. Um, I'm not reading from any definition right now, you guys. This is just off the top of my head. But um, between both of us, we have four kiddos. We've got three, actually, you have, I guess you have three kiddos. I'm sorry. But um, mm. you do have one stepdaughter, and she's mm. older, and that is a different parenting situation. So I guess you yeah. don't really have that much um, stake in her upbringing because yeah. you guys aren't really together. Yeah, but I can, I can touch on that in a different way just in the sense of, like, I have gotten to see how she has come to express herself. And, right. um, and she's 11 now, and she's in sixth grade, which is terrifying. She's 11. Oh, um, my gosh. Yeah, and the, I, yeah, I know. Like, I think when you first started seeing her on social media, she was three or four. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Um, yeah, and in the beginning of this school year, she decided to shave her head. Um, and she she is definitely experimenting with more in the more in the side of uh, gender expression. I think right. she and maybe exploring like gender identity. It like first got onto her map in like fourth grade, um, just from her friends and stuff. That was the first time she asked us what uh, trans what a trans person was, and um, she said that like kids were just. She was just very confused about it, had a lot of questions. So I've gotten to see it as kind of not an outsider, but, you know, just a, in a peripheral lens as an I'm not her biological parent. And yet I, I am still in her life and I don't I'm not with her right now. She's in Texas. Um, so it's been a little bit of like an outside perspective of just getting her to see her like be so individual. My goal is to always meet my children and encourage them to express themselves to their truest selves at the moment because we are human beings we are we grow we change we develop we change our minds all the time and children are still growing until they're 21 their prefrontal cortex isn't even fully formed so 
to to always allow that space to see what develops that that's what I feel is my role right and I and I want to touch back on something you said there towards the end is that um I really do. I do agree that gender expression and that kind of thing can come and go and everything else about our lives definitely does come and change and grow and and we all kind of deal with that the rest of our lives. But I will say that gender identity and I'm not saying that I'm not arguing with you. I'm not saying you weren't saying this, but just I'm going to say that like gender identity is going to be something that you are born with and something Mm -hmm. that we can um we're not like arguing that that's something that you come and go and change. We're just like, I'm just, and I know that you weren't saying that. I'm just kind of touching on that too, is that, um, that, that piece is something that we just want to, I agree. Like I, I definitely want to just be there to hold space for the expression and the creative part of just every part of their lives. But in this conversation, the gender piece and just supporting them along the way. And, you know, if they ever come to the conclusion or the arrival or at least let us in on the um, reality for them that they don't identify with the gender we assign them at birth, you know, then we're going to be there to, you know, uh, assist in changing the societal pressures maybe that they're feeling and helping them adapt as time goes on. But um, yeah, I was, yeah, I was thinking of it in the sense of like, I'm not the one going through the right under, cause she, I mean, if she, if she's assigned female at birth yet, she doesn't know yet if she like really feels like a female or not as she grows up, even though she's inundated with, you know, you're a female, you're a girl. Here are the toys that girls have. Here are the clothes that girls have. And that is the way that she was raised um, or any child, then I'm I, I'm kind of the witnesser of the unfolding of their understanding of their gender identity. And I can't really understand their gender identity until they express it or share it with me, um, separate from, you know, how I'm how I'm witnessing Julia like express her herself in different ways. Um Yeah, I just thought of it more of like, we can't know really how they're identifying um, or how they have identified in the past unless they kind of, like you said, let us in on the conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I I totally, and I don't, I want to apologize. I definitely, I feel like I knew what you were meaning. We definitely both are on the same page that like, you know, gender identity is like an innate sense of being and it's not like something that is a stage or whatever. And I'm not saying you were saying that, but just, you know. Just yeah, no, I appreciate it. I like to make sure that I'm being very clear. And um, oh my god, my kids are screaming out there. Sorry, my kids are screaming too. (laughs) Uh, Very essential in what I'm saying, and just trying to, um, you know. And thought, yeah, I thought you said it beautifully, and it's just very sweet. And your experience as a stepmother is just so interesting and inspiring for me to witness um, because I had step parents myself. I, I feel like I and I, I kind of talked about this in our in my um my birth stories podcast, yeah. but I definitely feel like um at the beginning of this whole journey because I was so I I have both you know anatomically boys that's those are the kiddos that I've got and mm-hmm. we did assign the pronouns like he and him when they were born um and I get a, I feel like I I was feeling a little bit of pushback just from family and friends, just like almost like they thought maybe I wanted a girl this whole time. (laughs) And um, 
that I, from me exposing my kids to like dresses and pink walls everywhere and flowers and just all of the different girl cartoons, media, dress up things. Well, I am just going to kind of uh, mention something that uh, Dr. Laura Anderson said regarding um, like, can we can we define or influence our children's gender identity? Like if we're buying them a bunch of dresses and we're painting, like say that they're a boy and we're buying them a bunch of dresses and we're painting their nails. Um, can we in- influence their gender identity? You know, and I think a lot of people are, are and even I was kind of like, am I going to like put him in a position where he's going to feel like more confused than if I didn't do these types of things? And, um, and for the most part, like the psychology and the science surrounding this says, no, like this is an innate sense of self. And if you're, if you are offering up these different ways for them to express themselves, if you are, um, in the words of her name is Diane. I don't want to get this wrong, but Erin Saft, Diane Erin Saft, she was like, she coined the term, quote, um, gender creative. And she has this book called The Gender, let me see. She has this book called Gender Born, Gender Made, and then another book called um, The Gender Creative Child. And she talks about how we should all raise our children gender creative, which to her, the definition of that is to describe children whose unique gender expression or sense of identity is not defined by a checkbox or on their birth certificate. So essentially like giving them space and allowing them to, and some people, some people, they choose to give their children like they, them pronouns at birth like as a just like even a step further in this direction of gender creativity to kind of just give them a neutral slate and not just assume that they will identify with the like you know uh the like this definition says like a checkbox on their birth certificate just based on their anatomy um so we didn't actually assign the the pronouns they them at birth even though i actually thought about it with sage but i was thinking like since we did it with phoenix we he him like with sage and we talked about it for a while and we just we just figured that um we would offer up this space for him to explore they like in the the psychology does state that children between the ages of three and five you're going to be noticing kind of their pull in different gender identities and if your child is like insistent upon like i'm a girl i'm a girl i'm a girl and they were not anatomically born a girl then that's something that maybe you you know your little antenna should go up and you can pay more attention to as time goes on i don't think that like societally you need to really worry about like transitioning your child as much as just like relaxing and just like being like I know Prim you always talk about being child led. I think that this is a mm-hmm. really perfect space for parents to be child led. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think about it in the sense of you know, we talk about gender expression and I also recognize that that within gen- like within the term gender expression. This is just my own personal take. This is not coming right. from anything I've read. But in the the term gender expression, that also still leads to this binary lens and I think what we're trying to move into is a neutral space where like dresses don't mean girls where you know trucks doesn't mean boys where pants aren't for boys where colors are for everyone and clothes don't have gender and we're in this like i feel societally we're like on this cusp like we're really close to where we're in this space that feels like we're moving where and i even see it in the children that i teach um so accepting of each other i have this little boy he identifies as a boy right now and um and I say right now in the sense of like, he, d- he hasn't he, like 
Yeah, Sorry, like he ahead. might not have the the consciousness to really, or he hasn't voiced anyone that he feels differently about his right. um, gender identity. And that's not to say it hasn't been there from birth, but maybe his access or like uh, consciousness around it, you know, is not developmentally there yet because he's five and a half. Um, right. But he paints his nails. He wears dresses very openly. He wears, he has braids. His favorite color is rainbow in quote, like he'll say his favorite color is rainbow. He loves rainbows and all the other children are so supportive of it. Like it's such a common thing where it's just like, oh, so-and-so your dress got dirty. You might want to tuck it into your rain pants. And he's like, oh, thank you. And it's so like, it's so funny because children are so naturally... Like, they don't come here with the ability to discriminate against one another in this kind of hateful way. Like, they can discern differences, and yet they're not naturally made to treat one another differently based on certain things. All of that is just, like, loaded from the get-go. And from, like, it's just, they're inundated with it, consciously or subconsciously. And, um, or consciously to the parents or adults around them, I guess, I would say. And... Um, yeah, I, I just was, I was just thinking of like a, of, I think how you and I try to approach it and it's different for you having two boys in which, you know, you're bringing in these things that wouldn't quote unquote naturally be in your house, you know, where we go to a store and I can't keep Zelda away from the Barbie dolls or whatever. Like, uh, so so Sage is exposed to those things without me having to go kind of, um, you know, consciously bring it in. And so... Um, but, but I think the conversation with Zelda is more around the fact that like, I'm constantly reminding her that clothes don't have gender clothes, clothes aren't boy and girl clothes are clothes. Our colors are not boy and girl, you know, colors are colors. And I think kind of unloading her in that way, because from a very young age for her also assigned her gender. And then for my family, you know, just all of the, the girl stuff, um, it's kind of getting her to understand um, that everyone's for everything's for everyone is kind of what I right. always end up saying. I think that's honestly like the whole. I think that we're having this discussion, and we wanted to have this episode because we do have this similar like view of this conversation. But yeah, just to have this discussion and have this conversation, and that everything is for everyone, um, but with a little bit of like the nuance surrounding the culture and like mm-hmm. getting people kind of on the pa- on the same page as as far as like um, this. As I think for me, the why this was important to me is because I do have a pretty, I mean, I have Phoenix and Phoenix is like, let's just use Phoenix as my example. And, you know, I do want to preserve some of his privacy, of course. And I do preserve actually a lot of his privacy. What people see on the internet or even talk about on the podcast isn't, you know, his entire life, his entire existence and all of the things that make him beautiful and special and unique. Um, and just him. And, you know, I, I I try not to put labels on him, you know, like even I, I recently saw and this is kind of like a side thing, but I recently saw this thing going around the Internet and it was like a, a little screenshot or a tweet or something. And it was like, let's stop calling girls pretty and let's start calling them smart and mm. athletic and X, Y and Z. And I was just like, not to say that that's wrong, but I was kind of like let's just stop saying that they're anything, you know, let's stop saying that people are anything and our children are anything and just offering up them space to be them. And because from the beginning, Phoenix was always so advanced. And we had a really 
like a habit of saying like, you're so smart, honey. Oh my gosh, you're so smart. And we did it constantly. <laughs> like, And then Colin and I, sometimes we'd look at each other and be like, why do we keep telling him he's so smart? Like my parents did that my whole life and I love you guys. And I was like in the gifted and talented program and I constantly had people in my face telling me how smart I was and how I had to achieve X, Y, and Z. And so when mm. I was in high school and I was under all this pressure, I just remember even like coming home and being like the smart one because my brother, he's the one that went to college for five years and has a huge degree and amazing business and job and stuff and like I didn't end up doing that (laughs) you know and he was so smart he was he did you know book smart but like just that whole dynamic of like labeling your children something and putting it on their identity even if you don't know that you are and you I know that so many of us and I I, I want to think that all parents have like great intentions with this type of thing and I know that the person that posted that and everyone that shared it like they had the best of intentions to like mm-hmm. empower all of these young people and young women to you know feel that their looks aren't the one thing that defines them or makes them worthy or valuable but I just want to offer up this space to like when you think about it try not to label your child whether it's athletic or smart or x y and z do you do you see what I'm saying do you I know that you're kind of on the same page as far as that goes and like just no. offering them space to be yeah I, to- I totally agree and as as a teacher that's something that I I practice daily is trying in Waldorf education specifically it's we really don't want to bring awareness to the child's appearance because it's very um we, we would call it awakening it's kind of bringing them to the next level of consciousness like we just want to keep them kids you know, in layman's terms. And so right. um, saying things like, oh, you're so, you're so, oh, you're so beautiful. You got a haircut or, oh, I love your dress today. Or, oh, like, good, good job. Good boy. Good girl. Like, uh, you're so smart. All those things I personally don't bring into my vernacular in the classroom. And I think I've said this before, but that's kind of um, my philosophy with that is like, less is more. And children is, actually yeah. get a lot more from what energy we hold and like how we interact with them versus necessarily the words that we say. Like they can they can pick up on, you know, they learn from imitation and from who who we are and who we're striving to be and, and they they absorb that even if we're not saying anything. And what also what you meant what you were talking about reminded me of um something a, a Jewish mom in my class told me the other day. She was telling me about Lashon Hara which is a, a law in the Jewish culture, which is basically like, um, hopefully I'm not butchering this, but essentially, because we were talking about her daughter and uh, in a conference, and she was talking, telling me about Lashon Hara and how it's basically a rule to not make a remark on someone's, um, about someone at all, whether it's quote unquote positive or quote unquote negative. Because either way, you're putting into their consciousness to, like, think about themselves in this, like, good or bad way or, mm. um, yeah. And so I, I just thought about that in the lens of, like, complimenting children or, uh, on appearance or otherwise. Because right. it, it turns their brain on to start thinking about that. And they don't need to be thinking about that. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I think uh, I really – and I, I think about it – I frame it in the space of lived experience when it comes to my life. And I'm like – Dang, I was literally labeled bossy and yep. and and it wasn't always in a negative way. Like it was in like a funny kind of like poking fun at my independent side or my kind of rule follower side. Yeah, I was always called bossy or rule follower, 
by my loving parents who I know love me and I know they have great intentions and the smart kid and gifted and so talented. And it was just like, that was who I was growing up. Like that was a huge part of my identity. It came up constantly. And so for me, if I'm sitting in a space in my life where I'm not creating, where I'm not, um, you know, the fact that I didn't finish college, like those are all huge, like ego things for me. Like those, I get really hung up on that. And I have to ask myself, like, you know, do you think that it had something to do with all of these labels people were putting on you and mm-hmm. didn't give you a chance to just be you and just move through your school experience and move through your life experience? And I think that it is really challenging whenever the traditional school system does take up so much of our children's time and we mm-hmm. have little control over that if we are putting them in a public sector. And that's, you know, that's a very privileged space if you're if you don't put your kids in a public school, you know, of course. But um Anyway, there's a lot that we can do at home. I'm not saying we have very little control. I'm just saying, like, I think that the numbers, if you look at, like, the way that we impact our children and the way that the school impacts our children, the school, it's, like, a third of their identity. You know, if they're in a full-time school from the moment they can, like, five years old to, you know, 18. So there is, there's a lot that we don't have control over. And I think that being a parent, even from the moment you get pregnant, is, like, this release of, like, there's only so much I can do, but there's also a huge like layer of protection. And I, this all kind of comes back to like gender identity, gender expression too, because thinking about your kids like in a s- school system where traditionally they might even kind of get disciplined if they were to be expressing themselves in a specific way, like yep. if it were, quote, disruptive to the class. Uh, like that, that makes me, my, I'm sweating. I'm sweating right now thinking about like what I would do if that happened to my child. <laughs> yeah, like for example, I mean, obviously this was in like what, 2003 or 2004, but my got husband it. Philip wore a skirt to school and he got suspended. Stop it. Like he didn't do any, like, he just, yeah, like I would be livid. I would want that principal fired. Um, I'm going to offer up like another lens on this, just something that I've run into having two white male children, just historically throughout time, white males have kind of like dominated everything, every part Mm -hmm. of society. And they've done a lot of like as a as a whole, they've done a lot of, you know, bad. (laughs) They've done a lot of good, but a lot of them have done a lot of bad. So I can I know that some people I'm not specifically talking about Philip, but that just kind of like there's like a light bulb in my head of something that I keep running into, like in mainly on social media but that's kind of what matters is like what i'm seeing from people either in my life or people that i follow or Mm -hmm. just the movement in general um is that you know when we're offering our boys like dresses and skirts and all these traditionally quote female and i yeah I, i agree with what you said earlier about like it's still like such a binary thing and like these things don't need to have gender they never did um, I think that there are some people out there that do get a little like, like no, they do not need another thing that they can put their label right. on. They don't, you yeah. know, white men don't need another thing that they can do. And I think that's more of like a really narrow white feminist, you know, way to look at something. And I, I, I think that in this conversation, it's like, I think it's important to state that um, we can't even pretend that like, um, skin color doesn't play a role in this right. privilege for my children to be able to express themselves however they want. Because historically like black trans women have been you know murdered and there has been so much cruelty done to the specifically black trans community but the trans community as a whole but the black and like BIPOC trans community has of course like had a really 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 um 
really challenging and just really devastating history, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, we want to be sensitive to that as well. And, um, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. And so for us, for our children to this kind of fits into what I was saying. It's like for our children to have access and to have the privilege to explore this stuff. It, like I said, it is a privilege. And um, one that, like you said, if we can offer up this space of neutrality, then maybe we can change the future generation's um, toxic masculinity and their, uh, you know, their access to that, mm-hmm. that space of like this perpetuating of the toxic masculinity is what I'm trying to say. If we can kind of put a halt to that or at least lessen it with our um, impact on our kids or, or not even our impact on our kids, but our um, environment that we set up for the kids to explore who they are. And and I agree with what you were saying about kids don't come out, you know, wanting to discriminate against each other. Like they mm-hmm. just want to exist with each other for the most part. Right. Um, and, like, there are those studies that say that as early as, you know, like, three months or six months, I don't actually know the exact number, but people, like, kiddos, babies can differentiate between, you know, races, and they prefer the one that looks like whoever their caregiver is. And that is that is true, but I think what we're trying to say is, um, in general, like, this exposure to different ways of being, it's not... Um, typically something that kids are going to pull away from and you know poke fun at and mock yeah. or whatever unless yeah, they're in I, the public school sector which is what we were talking about with philip <laughs> right and i think of it as in the sense of like you know i work in a private school and a you know for very privileged families which actually are in a different socioeconomic class than myself um but they are they're they're in a they're teaching their children how to be kind and cognizant and I'm not saying that like different socioeconomic classes aren't doing this I'm just saying these are the parents I'm exposed to but they the way they're showing up is what's influencing their children so I I'm just I really think so much of this has to start with us when it comes to yes children have the ability to be in a grocery store and say mommy that man's skin is very black and then we have the ability to say oh yes you're right like he is. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it, rather than being like, shh, shh, like, let's don't, don't talk about people or, you know, and I right. think that that's a whole other conversation. But I, I'm just saying like the, the, the ability to recognize differences in people is different than the ability to place judgment and enact prejudice on people. And I do recognize that we are all born with bias. And yet I've just seen children, um, you know, come into my classroom from parents that are really kind of doing a lot of this work uh, in themselves and in their language and in their homes in subtle, not even super explicit uh, ways and the impact it makes on the children. Just for the sake of like having a little bit more structure in this conversation, I would love Mm -hmm. to kind of like hear your experience, like um, if you're willing to share, like finding out the sex of Zelda because she is, you know, born anatomically female and Mm -hmm. kind of that just briefly kind of what that was like and then sage and i know we've talked about how sage has kind of like been more exposed and like you said earlier he's been more exposed to a traditionally feminine um uh play 
area, if that yeah. makes sense. Like traditionally, you know, toys and things and just environment. Um, but yeah, like kind of how your parenting journey and yours and Phillips, you can even kind of bring in his perspective because I know there are probably some of our like female listeners that are maybe interested in this but worried kind of about their partner or their partner in general especially if there's a boy involved it's kind of like no way mm-hmm. <laughs> and I know that that is a, a reality that a lot of us face and I'll definitely share my experience with us and Colin as you go yeah so we did decide well I'll just say I mean I was 24 when I had Zelda this stuff was not on my radar really at all if for my own because of my own privileged little bubble And so, um, yeah, I decided to find out what we were having. She was a little girl. We decided to, you know, call her girl pronouns. Um, And she was, you know, up to this point raised very much like a traditional little girl. And I, I will say, like, we never have denied her other things. Like, if she wanted to play with, like, whatever, like, that's not my parenting style to be like, no, you only play with blah, 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 like, in general. Um, But naturally, she has just, you know, continued to express herself in a more traditionally feminine way. And like I said earlier, a lot of our conversation with her is reminding her that, um, and I think it can be especially hard in my experience with girls because of the idea of what a woman is, is that is put out in culture and media. It is just so, it's almost like toxic femininity in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. is the the princess, the Disney princess. And everything in our world right now is she has to be a princess. Oh, no, she's a princess. She needs a tutu or she's not a princess. And that has not come for me. I'm always like, don't you want to wear pants under your snow pants? A skirt would be really uncomfortable, you know? And it, it's, uh, yeah, so it's it's been a little bit more of undoing and exposing her. Now that she's older, too, she's five, so... We can have conversations about how, like, we've introduced, you know, um, the idea of non-binary folk to her. We've introduced the pronoun them to her and they uh, in in a contextual kind of um, implicit way because I I personally don't like having very uh, explicit... kind of logical conversations with five-year-olds. I, I think there is a way to bring these things and it is very important. And yet I think there's a way to do it that's not overly, um, they, they just can't understand, they, they don't have logic yet. They can't understand things in the way that adults can. And so sometimes um, we can bring back it. to and, that less is more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, idea. exactly. So anyway, so then with Sage, so we decided to find out his sex uh, very early on. And um, Philip was really uh, excited to find that out because he, you know, he's a man. He identifies as a man. He wanted a little boy and he has two daughters. Um, And then, like, as I went into parenting Sage, the more I got, you know, I became educated more around this conversation of gender identity and gender expression. And um, it is an ongoing process for me. And I um, I have a lot of resources I can share. I can mention them later and definitely put them in the show notes um, as far as like self-education for families and parents um, specifically. And I, I personally, I think I came to it actually from a place of like wanting to find the most 
true identification of myself. And I literally was like, do I identify as a woman? Am I really a woman? And I asked myself that and I was like, okay, yes. And I kind of like went through this thing with myself and that really put me in the the lens or like the space to be able to look at Sage and step back from that that assigning of his um of his gender. And we we do use, you know, uh male he him her or I'm sorry, he him pronouns with Sage. And yet we are sometimes sometimes I will say they about him. Um, which sounds weird mm-hmm. in that sentence alone. I do that too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, sometimes to Zelda, I'll say like, well, maybe one day they will decide to X, Y, Z. And she's kind of like, she'll look confused at me. Ooh. And then I kind of, yeah. And then I just kind of remind her like, well, right now Sage is a boy, but he's a, he's a baby. So we don't really know what's going on inside him. Um, and so it, it's been a more of an open space. It's been more of a, you know, he wears his sister's dresses. He actually prefers her clothes. He loves dressing up in her clothes. He loves, um, I feel like traditionally feminine clothes or like the princess clothes are just way more fun. And that's a really natural, like, that's a really natural way to express gender, whether his identity, his gender identity is feminine, you know, non-binary or you know, agender or, you know, masculine. That's mm-hmm. like, I I think the research and just the psychology surrounding gender expression, uh, it all points to like, that's just like, if anyone's listening, that's a very normal and healthy thing for any ch- child to do. It's like, it's a developmental thing to like explore and express gender in a specific way. But anyway, I was just also adding that they're just more fun. Like yeah. you can spit around in a dress. And totally, totally. X and Y. <laughs> and... Um, it's funny because then my husband's like, I don't know how you wear dresses all day. It's so uncomfortable for me and all my stuff. And like, you know, so so everyone's different. But uh, I think for us right where we are right now, it's more of a space of um, just, yeah, just an open space and a, a a fluid space in the sense of I don't have any expectation on who Sage will become. And I don't want to put any of that expectation on Sage either. And I, I think that is a little bit more loose than it is with Zelda. And I not to say that my opinion of it is, but she just right now seems like she feels like very much a girl and that's not going to change. If it does change, I'm more than open to hearing it. And I think and hope that she feels that our home is a safe space to talk to me about that. And that is our number one priority is that, you know, we've always said we don't want our children to feel like they have to quote unquote, come out to us, whether that be their sexual orientation or their, you know, their gender identity. We want to be able to just have a space where they get to just be who they are, exactly who they are, um, not as they should be or think they should be. I don't want my children hiding certain things from me because they're ashamed or because they are not sure how I will take it. And that's what I would have done as a child if I was questioning certain things and things that I did question, I hid from my parents and probably still haven't talked to them about it to this day. And so I don't want to create that space in my family and in my home. So everything is open. Everything is like, you have a question about it, let's talk about it. And I I think it's just a constant ongoing open table discussion and um you know we're we're unpacking and learning more about it every day and it'll continue to grow and evolve but that and and sage is only two 
Um, and so that's where we're at. And if it changes in the future, like I, I think our willingness and ability to adapt and grow and meet our children where they are and just give my goal is just to give them space to express themselves exactly as they want to express themselves, whatever that means Mm -hmm. in any direction, whether that be their sexual orientation or their gender identity or their gender expression, whatever it is, they're allowed to show up exactly 120,000% as who they are and feel safe. Absolutely. That's beautiful. And I totally agree with a lot of that. And like you were saying that it's not even limited to those three things like sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, but it's like a whole encompassing parenting scope. And it's Mm -hmm. like probably, you know, it's from everything to food to, you know, they're like the conversation around, you know, education and art and everything. It's just everything that they're interested in. It's just an open space. And it's funny because we need like some sort of like drinking game with them. How many times we've said open space during this conversation (laughs) and it just keeps coming up. And I love that that is kind of like the theme of this conversation is open space. Yeah. So I really, really agree with almost everything that you said, but I'll, I'll apply that some of this to kind of like my, what our experience has been like with Phoenix and Sage. And I feel like I've definitely shared some of this throughout the conversation, but yeah, so when I was pregnant with Phoenix, we did, we even did an early, like, scan to find mm-hmm. out the sex of the baby, which to me now, like, seems so funny. And I, de- I definitely think to everyone out there, that probably seems kind of funny and kind of hypocritical to the conversation. But I think that my perspective on it, and I did it with Sage, too. We found out the sex of him. My perspective on it was that my pregnancies to me... I have a lot, I hold a lot of anxiety around my pregnancies and I think it's probably because I did have a miscarriage, um, but maybe not. I'm, it, could, it can happen to anyone have anxiety surrounding their pregnancy and keeping their baby safe and their body safe. And it's such a new experience, especially with your first. And I will just say it's a new experience every time you're pregnant. It's yep, like you forget things. It's so like crazy and you can't believe you're actually doing this and your body's doing this. And it's just like it's just a crazy experience and for me I really love information and the baby's genitalia was just another piece of information for me to be Mm -hmm. like look I felt like I was kind of getting to know their body you know and Mm -hmm. and I think that um whether my children who we've assigned as boys you know we've assigned their pronouns he he him to both of them um whether they identify as whatever they identify um, I still think their bodies are beautiful and I'm obsessed with, you know, them. And I know that one day I won't be like seeing their naked bodies run around and that will just be like a natural progression. And, you know, I'm sure that I, I just feel privileged to even have be able to know that kind of thing. So I do feel a little I will say I do feel a little bit of like remorse surrounding sharing that with the entire world. I think that uh that was probably something I wouldn't do again. I was just so excited. And any information about my pregnancy and about this baby was like, ugh, just a magical nugget, you know? And I think that learning that it was, that, you know, anatomically they were boys, I think that for me, it I was expecting a girl. So I think that my journey with this conversation surrounding gender was really ignited by the fact that I, my whole life, 
I've been very like woman power. Yes, yes, yes. Probably like very like white feminist without really trying to be um, just because that was the environment that I was kind of raised in. Um, being pregnant with them ignited this conversation for me and kind of being like, oh, okay, well, I'm not having a girl apply everything that I was going to apply to a girl, you know, all of that. There's no reason why that was reserved for a girl. There's no reason why I think that I know that this is a boy or a girl or if that girl, quote, girl that I thought I was having... (laughs) Like, if she would have even been interested in anything I was interested in, if she even would have wanted me to be, if she would have even wanted children, you know? Like, because I remember thinking, oh, I will never be at my daughter's birth or whatever. And then I was like, I have no idea if they would identify as a girl. I have no idea that they would want to give birth biologically, you know? I have no idea. Or if they would want you there. (laughs) Or if they would want me there. Yes. And I've talked about that with my friends that also have boys. Um, because, you know, I do have that conversation with Phoenix about, you know, as far as, you know, science stands now, you you cannot carry a baby in your tummy. Um, you know, and that's kind of like, he does get bummed about that. (laughs) Yeah, who wouldn't? You know, I know he gets bummed about that. But, um, there are, and I don't go into all of that with him because like you were saying earlier, it's like they can only process so much, you know, but like. There are trans people out there that are trans women out there that have their, you know, have their babies and they can do like in like a supplemental nursing system mm-hmm. um, on their breasts to like breastfeed their children and stuff like that. So and if no one knows what that is, I should probably explain what that is. But that would be like it's like a tiny feeding tube that you can tape to your um, your breast. Did, didn't you use one with Phoenix? I did use one with Phoenix. I did. Yeah, that's what I, that's why I probably know what it is. But. Um, and you can just latch baby onto your breast and they can suckle and get, um, get milk that way, like from formula or, you know, like expressed milk or donor milk or whatever. Cause there are, you know, there are like millions and millions and millions of people out there that aren't, um, having the quote traditional, you know, birthing experience and they are navigating parenting in a completely different way. So Mm -hmm. anyway, I don't like go into all of that with Phoenix, but you know. If I ever needed to, then I definitely, and even if, oh my gosh, and this, I, I want to say this goes without saying, but it doesn't. If Phoenix, let's say he grows up in a very like totally traditionally masculine male, identifies as male, all these things, and ends up expressing himself mostly male, I still would love for him to know this information. Mm-hmm. You know, like this type of information will still be available to him. He's going to know about it. Um because this is our world and he like i'm gonna say it again this open space like just offering this open space that's not quote weird or like you know mysterious because i feel like all these parents that are like people that are in our parents generation are kind of like (laughs) like my mom not throwing her under the bus love you mom she texted me the other day to explain what the um the ia plus stands for on the lgbt lgbtqia plus community like the in the um, acronym and so I did explain it to her and she's just like I just I'm so confused by all the gender stuff you know I'm trying to figure all that out and understand it and I applaud her for you know understanding it trying and essentially with my kiddos I definitely agree with you I want to offer up this open space and even from the moment of finding out like they did have boy parts um kind of being like oh okay well this doesn't really mean anything 
you know, having this Mm -hmm. like empty kind of like association with those parts. And when it comes to Colin, like I was talking about earlier, um, he also is super open. I think that for us, before we even had kids, we always were just kind of thinking like, oh, yeah, we'll love them if they're gay. You know, you know, like, and that's kind of like where it stops. Like, right, if they're gay, right. heck yeah, we'll love them. But then, as like parenting kind of shifted, and like we got pregnant when I was twenty three, like so we were really young, and you know he was raised in a completely different lens than I was raised. You know, I think he was raised with thinking like um, queerness was a choice in any direction. It was mm-hmm. a choice, um, and so for me, I was always, I was always taught that. Uh, it wasn't a choice and it was just the way you were born. It was just a part of who you were. Um, and it was just a good thing. It was just a neutral thing. Um, and I'm sure I could have learned more about that growing up from my family, but that's kind of just where it stopped. It was like, we love everyone. Cool. And I think that we, our generation is taking on a new space of like, we don't just need to love everyone. We need to understand everyone right you know and we need to offer up a space for them in society and a space for them at the table we need to hear their voices and they need to be important you know um and we don't just need to be like one we don't need to be colorblind to the color of people's skin which is something that we you know growing up that was normal and we don't need to you know we don't need to mute all the voices of people in that are queer or in the lgbtqia plus communities you know and um anyway so i'm just saying that colin and i's conversation surrounding it was just a conversation of wow we need to get educated we want to learn we have some trans friends and that was kind of like our intro into this world and i'm so grateful for like the the education they've offered that they honestly did not we did not deserve to get directly from them but they you know during their transition they really included their friends and family in the education process and so that's kind of where we learned a lot Mm. of what we've learned but um you know we are really in this generation of raising the next generation like this is where the momentum happens this is where like you said it's not just about accepting one another it's about really getting educated in ourselves so that we can fully understand other people's experiences and help protect them because our the whole entire paradigm of our world has to change so that these people can actually exist safely so that everyone can actually exist safely and that is like the ultimate goal and that really starts on an individual level and getting educated Mm -hmm. absolutely i agree and i'm going to add just one more thing and then i want to jump into our recommendation of the week and this just piggybacks off of what you said um but i also recently learned that gender um, dysphoria is mm-hmm. recognized by the DSM as oh, a wow. mental illness. By a, as a mental illness, so we're still working through this in society. We're, oh wait, you know, this is I misunderstood that. So my oh wow sounded really enthusiastic. I thought you meant like it was <laughs> it, it was recognized as. So wait, gender dysphoria no, it's recognized as a as gender something dysphoria wrong with you. is recognized as a mental illness, and oh. it's recognized as something that is dysregulated in, in a person. Oh, so, yikes. Um, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's a never mind. But um, so that's something that I learned from, I mentioned her earlier. She's like one of the mothers of this, or she's the one that coined the term. Her name's Diane. I cannot r- pronounce her last name. Aaron Saft. I mean, I think I'm pronouncing it Aaron Saft. It could potentially be Aaron Soft. Anyway, Diane. 
my buddy Diane, she, the one that coined the term gender creative, and she has the book Gender Creative Child, she was the one that put that on my radar that, like, is like we cannot have a, like, a free space, a safe space for these children until we can remove that as, you know, gender dysphoria as a mental illness, you know? Totally. Because that can be diagnosed, like, they can be diagnosed as gender dysphoric by uh, like a child psychologist or something. So I think there's just so much stigma surrounding it still. And Uh I didn't even know that. But um, I think, oh, before we jump into our recommendations of the week, I think we should probably uh, list off our recommendations for parents. And I will just quickly do some of mine. So I want to highly, highly recommend, and I posted about this on my Instagram. It's called Queer Kid Stuff by Lindsay Amer. And I follow her on Instagram too. And I will list... I will link her in the show yeah. and she just offers so many amazing resources for parents, for children. Phoenix and I have just sat down and I highly encourage you watch these with your kiddos as I, I really do think we should watch our, our kiddo shows with them. But um, the, these especially are really great. Um, she has a YouTube channel and she has like videos about like there's puppets and there's cartoons and there's some of them. There's like gay fairy tales. Some of them she like interviews her teddy bear that, like identifies as non-binary and it's all these things that are like honestly it's just so natural and just really explain things to kiddos in a very like cool way i would say they probably need to be three or four to really understand what she's talking about but um i really really love it there's parents only section two which also like gives us some intel on our kiddos and um it's not just for i'm gonna say this it's not just for parents who suspect that their kiddo um may be lgbtqia plus like it's for everyone it's for everyone and it's for these kids that we're trying to raise that that uh we're trying to educate and we're trying to like offer up this you know accepting and celebrating space for everyone else even if Uh it's not them um so queer kid stuff for sure and then um i'm gonna link a podcast episode with diane aaron saft that i really really enjoyed and I'll also link her books, but I have not read them yet. I think I'm going to get the audiobooks just because, honestly, I do not reading paper books right now that much. Um, but uh, also Kyle Myers, um, she identifies as she, they. She's on Instagram at, at K-Y-L underscore M-Y-E-R-S. Um, she wrote a book called Raising Zoomer, and she is an advocate for intersex kids. And she also, um, her child goes by they, them pronoun. I really, really, really love following her. They just moved to Australia, and they're having to quarantine, and it's just, like, really entertaining. And just, again, it's just, like, another beautiful, amazing kid. Like, just a kid. And I think just offering up their child's experience and some of it, obviously not all of it, but some of it is just, like, I feel very privileged to even, like, witness that beautiful journey. So those are going to be my three that I'm offering, though there is so much out there that you can do. These are just kind of, like, relevant to, like, fun, kid-related stuff, not as much of, like, the heavy lifting. Except Diane, you know, she's got some good stuff out there. That's well, I have the heavy depth. lifting, so. <laughs> Give me the heavy lifting. Okay. So first, uh, a good account to follow on Instagram um, that's helped me a lot and I have really enjoyed following is um, the Gender and Family Project. And it's a project. Oh, I follow them too. Yeah. And it's a project that came out of the Ackerman Institute. um, Or, uh, and there's also pflag.org, which is Parents and Families for LGBTQIA plus Children. Mm -hmm. Um, And then three books, Parenting Beyond Pink and Blue by Christia Spears Brown, Trans Kids by Tay Meadow. 
Gender in Our Brains by Gina Rippon. So those, oh, and then Disclosure on Netflix. Um, hopefully it's still there. But all of these are just different directions around um, the whole gender conversation for your own self-education. I feel like that's an amazing place to start. And really just, you know, start with looking at yourself maybe and um, see in what ways you can bring this conversation or even just space for conversation into your family and uh, listen to the language you use around your children. Listen to, you know, just really start bringing this to your consciousness because um, I'm just going to say it's important. I think I think it's important. I think it's our responsibility now where we are. Um, especially I, I, I will, I will say it's our responsibility as, um, you know, cis people aiming to be allies and creating this embracing celebratory world for all people, um, to self-educate. Yep. I totally agree. Yeah. Showing up as allies and showing up ready to do some work and undo this, like learning that we have done in the past. Okay. Now we're going to move into our recommendation of the week. Pew 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 awesome. pew. Pew 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 pew. <laughs> uh, it never stops being funny. Okay, Prim. So yes. we you guys, I think we're gonna like try to keep our recommendations of the week like kind of light. At least right now because it's Christmas time or holiday mm-hmm. time. I would love to know what is your recommendation of the week? Christmas time. Okay. Go. Um so mine is to one get outside because mm. I personally have been feeling like it's like dark at four o'clock you guys okay get outside that's it second yeah. is um to watch slash rewatch probably rewatch elf because it's so funny and I didn't like it at first uh when I very first watched it, I thought it was so stupid but every time I like rewatch it I just think it's it's so hilarious it's now classic. that I understand Will Ferrell's like acting style. It's just mm-hmm. it's even better, um, and it's kid friendly. Hi Zelda, I love you. Great, you can go Hi, play Zelda. with her. Um, but it, yeah, it's just such a good one. We watched it with our kids last night. It's so light and fun, and it's uh, it's funny seeing Zoe Deschanel in that like edgy character right. in the beginning. Yes. Like I didn't she was even like, recognize her. That was my her. intro into Zoe Deschanel. Was yeah. like this show. I remember loving her hair, and then she never had it like that again. Yeah, yeah. Seeing her blonde <laughs> is super weird. So yep, Isn't it those weird? are mine. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Yeah, mine. That's a really good one. I really just Elf. Mwah, it's a classic. I love it. We own it because we're old okay so mine is this playlist and i just want to go ahead and say as an american i love some old-timey french music it just like upgrades any scenario it's like oh we're chilling no big deal let's throw in some french like old music and it's like oh instant romance so it's this it's this this playlist on apple music called a christmas eve in paris semicolon i love paris (laughs) with an exclamation point so it's just this hilarious name but it's all of these beautiful christmas songs in french and it's just like such a sweet vibe if you're on spotify or google play music you can just type in like french christmas and maybe you'll find something fun but uh specifically wanted to recommend that christmas in paris semicolon i love christmas because i feel like it's a really like a really good um playlist but that's kind of it from us i mean 
It's funny that you That's mentioned it. the French music giving like an upgrade because I worked at a restaurant where there was like three songs on this like ongoing loop, uh, and I was in the kitchen at the time. But uh, of our playlist, there are these like three French songs, and when they came on, it was like oh, it was an instant like a mood booster. I don't know. I had no idea what they were saying. I still do not know I what the know. songs were to this day. But if I heard them, I, I would like know. dance my pants off. It's so I'm good. The same way. Like French with Wes pop Anderson music. movies. Yeah, it's the know. best. Yeah, totally. Well, with with Wes Anderson movies, like in my young age of like 16 and 15 and 17, just like through those really impressionable years, I was obsessed. That's whenever you had to like go and like Google, like what is this song? You like Google the words <laughs> and then mm. you try to find it. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that with French music because you don't know the words because you don't speak French. And so I just have to like Google and try to find out like some sort of detective online, these songs. And uh, so, yeah, that was kind of Wes Anderson. This Whoever did the soundtrack for his movies, like a few of those songs are just like, ugh, so warm in my soul. But anyway, yeah, French music, y'all. You out there that are French or in Canada, like, you know, Quebec side of Canada. And I know that not everyone in Canada speaks French, but uh, yeah, you guys probably are laughing at us right now. But, you know, it's cool. I don't speak, I don't speak any French, but we can say ciao. That's Italian. That's Italian. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Italian. I I have some Italian in my blood. My main name is Grasso, which means fat in Italian. Fun fact. Does it really? Yeah. Yeah. Like in Spanish, grasa is fat. So in Italian, grasso is fat. Like fat from like if you had like duck fat or like. Got it. Like, you know, fat from like a. It means like actual fat. That's so. That's wow. Fat. Yeah. That's. Wow. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's cute. You are Italian. <laughs> and you knew you're about to be like, ciao bella. Now I'm speaking <laughs> Italian. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Amazing. Okay, well, yeah, it's 9 o'clock. All right. All right, guys. Well, Peace thank out. you for coming to this chat. We will talk to you next week. Bye. Oh, wait, right. do we say do we say a thing at the end of our episodes where we ask people to go leave a rating and review? We do, don't we? We do, yeah. Okay. It's there. So I, like, want, I want a lot of people more to do it. Thanks for listening to Conscious as a Mother. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. Don't forget to subscribe because we release new episodes every week. See you next week.